trap door if Brave Team could just disappear. <laughs> no one listens to me around this park. I am so uh, thankful for you all as a church and I love you and I'm so happy to see you here today. I've been looking forward to this sermon for several reasons, but one of which is that I get to talk about my papa. Um, he, he would have been, I think, late 90s uh, in July. Uh, he passed away. He was the first grandparent I lost, and I was 24 when, when he died. And so I'd spent my whole life with um, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mom's parents also, my papa. We have all weird names, right? We got Tootsie and Roll and all that. But I had, uh, I had, I had my Momo and my Papa and my Mimi and my Papa, and then I had Granny B. I had Granny uh, or Pop Page, which was my great grandparents, and then I had another great grand grandmother na uh, named Granny Helen. That was her given name, Granny Helen, and I knew all of them. All seven grandparents lived in the same town as I did, lived within five minutes of driving, and that was our world. Our world was in DeQueen, Arkansas, and it had my parents and my uncles and aunts, and like no one moved away. Nobody. And we went to lunch at, at Momo's house every Sunday, and sometimes... They would even invite those rascals, Mimi and Papa, over. And the whole family would converge. We moved to Teague, Texas in, uh, in 2008. You remember the housing crisis of 2008? That's when we were trying to sell our first house. Um, it was a disaster. We finally got it sold. We finally moved to Teague, where I'd been commuting there for a while. And my first full Sunday where we lived in Teague, my parents came down, they moved us in, and Papaw died as I was preaching that sermon. My dad gets the call, he goes back, and we have to sit and talk to people. And one of the craziest things about experiencing tragedy like that is you still go to Walmart. You still have to go buy groceries, and you're walking around and you're thinking, none of these people know. Another, when my grandmother passed away, I remember getting on the elevator to go see her. And some, the elevator stopped and it opened, and people got on with balloons of congratulations. And that's just how the world kind of goes, isn't it? Celebrations and grief, joy and tragedy are aligned in our existence. Even within our own little worlds, there are things to celebrate and things to mourn. But the world goes on. 
And it's in those grocery stores, in those, in those, uh, those gas stations, and sometimes even at church. It's in those places that we feel unseen. That the world around us has no idea what's going on in our life. That the world around us has no idea what we are feeling. And sometimes, man, church can be the worst spot for that, can it? Where you're, it feels as though here you're supposed to have it all pulled together. And when you've, when you've gathered the unraveled yarn of your emotional health into your arms and tried to walk into worship looking sort of normal, it just doesn't feel right, does it? This projection of health, this projection of happiness, projection of joy, sometimes can seem like it's taking away from my true vulnerability, the, the true ability to be able to look around at all of my family and friends here and say, I'm hurting. Or I'm lost. I'm confused. This doesn't feel like the place sometimes. Church doesn't feel like the place. I feel like I could do this with you guys, but I, church doesn't feel like the place sometimes where you can be open and vulnerable, where it's okay to be broken. But if this isn't it, where else is it? It's not the grocery store. It's not the gas station. You can't stop, you can't stop the people with the congratulation balloons and say, Death is upon us all. We have an ability sometimes to close off so that we aren't fully seen. And that's keeping us from being fully loved. It's keeping us from being fully embraced by the people around us. When I was a kid, someone going forward was like, you know, with, like, let's, let's stand and sing. And no, 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 it's not over. But you would stand and sing and someone would walk forward and just, oh, what is happening? What are they going to say? And this, this, we were just thrown off by someone being open and vulnerable. And you know when it was? When they showed up, sat in that front, front pew and talked to the preacher? It was the last straw. It was at their lowest moment that they came forward and sat down. You know, it wasn't the first straw, was it? My life has fallen apart. And I don't know where else to turn. We find Hagar. Maybe sitting on the front pew of a church. That's not where she was. She was out alone, 
being cast out of, her, of the only place she had ever known and lived. Now, it wasn't a great existence for Hagar. Hagar was uh, um, a slave. She was enough of a slave that whenever Sarah couldn't bear children, Sarah said, try her. I mean, from the get-go, she's not seen as human. From the jump, she's seen as commodity. From, the whole story assumes she's an object. To, one, be used for their own gain. To, number two, be, let's just get rid of her. To, to see Hagar in this, what an insignificant life she leads. And we, we don't know what it feels like to be her. We don't know what it feels like to be lost and think, all right, I guess it's time for me to die. Which is an incredible place to be where you, you just, have you, ever, have you ever not been able to go to sleep? You think, all right, what if I tried real hard? Does that ever work? For Hagar, her whole existence had been, is, is now ending, and she's thinking, I guess what's next is death. I guess what's next is for me to not exist anymore. I don't exist in the house of Abraham anymore. I'm an, the, I'm an object that has been used and discarded. And I have no worth. It's time. It's time to end this. Scripture says that God hears her. And shows up and makes promises to Hagar the same way he makes promises to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, here's what I'm going to do for you. Then in Genesis, just a few chapters later, he shows up to Hagar. Not the owner of a bunch of cattle and a bunch of people, but the owned. The one who has no power and no rights and no um, options and nowhere else left to go. He shows up and says, let me tell you about your descendants. Your son... He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Some of you have sons like that. <laughs> Your son is going, there's going to be a nation from you too. There's going to, you will produce so much as well. And Hagar is the first person in Scripture to name God. She says, you are the God who sees me. Because I have been seen by God. 
It's in those moments. In those moments from Hagar, those, you know, we're not in her situation, but pain and death and hopelessness, they come upon us all. Not knowing the next step, being confused about what's ahead, being despondent about what the possibilities even are. They show up to us all. And God, God is the God who sees you. That, that the God we worship, that we sing about, that sent Jesus, that fills us with the Spirit, God sees us. It hit me the other day that like I saw somebody talking about atheists. They were saying... They were saying, it's just unfathomable that you can't believe in God. And that's what's crazy to me is that believing in something you don't, believe, don't see is that's actually pretty hard to fathom as well. Like believing, believing that Jesus walked on the water, believing that Jesus rose from the grave, I believe that. I trust in that. But I don't think people are insane whenever they don't quite get it. And what, what gets me is whenever Christians refuse to understand people who are different from us. Because we, are, we don't worship a God who's just sort of blindly scoffing at people who don't understand Him. We worship a God who sees people who are confused, who see people who, are, who, who really don't believe. He sees people who are in those places where their life has brought them to a spot where they don't quite understand or even want to believe in a God. God sees you there. God hears you there. God sees you there. And God, the, the, to the one who is doubting, God sees you. To the one who feels alone and unseen and depressed and frustrated and your life has stuff going on in it that no one here gets or understands. God understands. God sees you. God hears your pain. God hears your cry. The God we worship sees humanity in all of its nuance and complexity. God sees you and understands. God's, God sees where you were raised. What your parents were like. What you came from. And he understands. God sees the brokenness and the hurt of your, of, your, of your previous marriage. And he understands. We do not worship a God who set out laws so that his will can be done, so, so that everyone will conform to that and look the same and just do just do the things God says. That's not our our God's the one who shows up at Hagar and says, I see you, I hear you, and makes her feel like God's eyes are upon her, that the face of God has turned to her and she now feels peace in a broken and still very difficult situation. The God 
the God we worship knows your story. And God's grace is not without him hearing and seeing you and understanding you. The fact that God shows us grace. The fact that God demonstrates grace to us and loves us assumes that God knows you and understands you right where you are. That yes, maybe God's leading you, definitely God's leading you to a place where you are going to live with the peace and joy and forgiveness of Jesus. That you are going to love others like Jesus has loved us. But you might not be there yet. But God's not stomping his foot and throwing a tantrum because you're not. He's getting you there. He knows your story. I had... A very good grandfather. I have a very good dad. My dad came home and didn't sit down until my mom sat down. That was a big rule in our house. You don't, you don't sit down until Mother Teresa sits down. That's her name. We weren't like monitoring Calcutta. And that's just sort of ingrained in me. That's just what you do. And so I had some advantage in my husband's life. Where I, that was just a thing. I didn't know any better. And it doesn't make me good or, it doesn't make me better or worse than other husbands. It's just, it's just what I did. It's because that's what I was shown. Some of you had to learn. And that's okay too. This God who's leading us, who's taking us somewhere, who's even for Hagar saying this is what the future holds and it's, and it's going to be better than what it feels like right now. This God is a God who sees you. So when I was fired the first time, uh, it was, church work's fun, right? It was an interesting, uh, it was just, you know, very conservative church, less conservative youth minister, let's, it's time to part ways immediately, that kind of thing. Um, and that's fine, that's, that's what they needed, I'd let them go, that's fine. But I didn't really know the pain that was inside me from it until I was standing in front of Rob Bell. Like this close. Rob Bell's an author, speaker, and he was, he was holding a conference that on the, the, the nuts and bolts, the craft of preaching. Um, it wasn't like a big theology conference. It was just like, here's some things I've learned and here's some speakers. It was a one-time thing. I was really excited to go. Um, I'd, been, I'd been at Teague uh, for six months at the time, and I was still trying to figure out how to do Sunday morning Bible class, Sunday morning sermon, Sunday night sermon, Wednesday night Bible class. Um, the, the answer to that, if you need to know, is one of them's going to be worse. <laughs> so just let Sunday night be the JV sermon, you know, just... Um, 
But I was still trying to figure it out and I wasn't great at it. I'd picked this conference I wanted to go and um, we were in a line to meet Rob. Rob is, I call him Rob, I've met him. Rob is six, seven at least. He's huge. He's a big guy. He can baptize people in his hands. It's, he's a big person. And so I was standing in front of Rob, and I was just, I said, I was just kind of telling him the story about like, yeah, we got fired, and two days later we found out Rachel, Rachel was pregnant with our, our first, and so there's sometimes like, I don't know, and then we got a, got a call for a, a job, and then we, uh, we, we found this church, a small little church, and we're happy to be there, and so on and so forth, and he goes, he goes like this, I'm going to tear up talking about it, he goes, you've been through it. And he grabbed me and hugged me, and my face was here. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Rob Bell Sternum. <laughs> to be seen. To, to have somebody look at you and not just go, I don't like this about you, but to look at you and go, you've been through it. That we do not serve a God who is, who is a doctrine champion and is waiting for us to mess up, but we serve a God who sees us and hears us. That God became man. That God rose from the grave. That God sits on the throne and we are ruled. We are ruled by that God, a God who sees us. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. When we do not have the words or the, or the right way to express how we're feeling, God, you come and sit with us and tell us we don't have to explain it. You tell us that we, we, do, we don't have to get it even right in our own eyes. We just, we know you get it. We know you understand. So bless us as your people with your infinite wisdom about our lives and your infinite wisdom about the nuance of our, of our whole existence. God, lead us closer to being like your son. customize our discipleship. Empower us with your spirit. It's in your son's holy name we pray.